Good morning. It's good to see everybody, and welcome to you guys in Benton. Um, I hope your rooted celebration was as much of a blast as ours was. Um, I am a little wet and happy about it. Um, and so anyway, I'm uh, waiting to dry off a little bit here. Um, do you ever have that friend that you know that when they tell you a story and it sounds amazing, you should probably subtract about 15% of what they said <laughs> to get to reality? You know, and, and they mean well. They mean well. They just get excited and it's like whatever it is they're talking about, like it could be something that happened in their past and you're like, wow, that sounds amazing. But then you get to know them a little bit and, and, and they're, they're excited about the new socks that they just bought. And you're like, you can't be that excited about socks, man. Like, or they, they tell, um, you know, these like fantastical adventures and that kind of thing. And they're like, ah, I'm betting most of that is true. Uh, sometimes when we run into big language, you know, like, like this kind of like overwhelming statements, uh, one of the natural things that we wonder is, do I need to, do I need to subtract um, some of that to kind of get to uh, the truth? And there's a few places like that in Scripture that I think are a, a fair question, you know, if we think about our lives. Um, like, for example, if we could just jump in and look at, like, what do we do with, like, in Psalm 34? It says something like this. I will extol the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. I mean, how beautiful. That's like, yes, let's go. Let's go. But I, I got to wonder, you know, some of this language, like, what are we talking about here? I will extol the Lord at all times, his praise will always be on my lips? Like, is that real or is he just really excited? You know, is this psalm writer the kind of guy that you, you have to be like, I know you mean it, buddy, but we can't actually, like, do that? Or, or is there something else going on there? I mean, yes, this is, this is a, a song. These are sung prayers in the Psalms. Um, this is poetry. So uh, a lot of times, obviously, poetry and songs, they're going to use, um, you know, hyperbole and, and put a lot of energy. They're going to use big language. No one sings a love song that says, like, um, you are the third person I've ever fallen in love with. I've only been in love like this a few times before. <laughs> like no one sings a love song like that. It's not very poetic. And so it's a fair question. It, what, what's, what, what is, what's going on there that all times, always on my lips? Is that, is that real? Well, one of the ways that we could answer that question is we could say, let's look other places in Scripture and one of the things that might be a little challenging is as you dig into Scripture, you find that that, that kind of language isn't just found in the, in the poems, in the songs, in these moments of like um, hot emotion, uh, but we find it all over the place. And, and maybe I'll just cut to the chase. And like if we look at Jesus's teaching, Matthew 22, one of them, an expert in the law, you, you, you probably know this if you've been around church a bit, tested him with the question, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I mean, all of these alls, like this, this language is big. It kind of like encompasses everything. And we can, we can do a couple of things. One, we could just say, uh, this is, you know, it's spiritual language. It's, this is what religion is supposed to do. So we're really not going to like give it too much credit. You know, we're going to give it the credit that we need to when we're in a religious environment. Um, and then we're going to get back to our normal lives where normal people have to actually get through the day. You know, or we could say, no, let's, I think they might be onto something. All times, always on my lips. I mean, what, what about the, these things about, I'm going to love the Lord with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind. How do we, how do, we do that? And there's some people that have tried to take that as seriously as possible. Um, one of the movements that we see throughout history is what's called a monastic movement. Many, many, many different approaches to this where people, um, because they want to take him seriously, I want his praise to always be on my lips. I want to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. What they do is they, they say, well, I can't do that in society, so I have to remove myself from it. You know, and there's been these beautiful movements like St. Benedict, um, you know, founded a monastic movement in the 400s that is still rolling today. And there's been some beautiful things that have come out of that, but somewhere in the heart of it is this idea that if we're really going to love the Lord our God with everything that we have, we have to leave the world. And we have to do that out there in a special place where, where maybe we're kind of locked away in a monastery. And maybe if someone comes out and visits us, we can be Jesus to them. But I, I'm going to spend all of my time in what we call spiritual disciplines. Um, which, you know, there's lots of different ways that people have talked about that over thousands of years. But these places where God said he would meet us, like in prayer and in scripture, in communion and worship, in contemplation, God said he would meet us in those places. So, so people said, we're going to leave the world because if you've been around the world, there's not a lot of that. And we have to find God out there. But then there were some other folks. They, they took the whole like monastic movement and approached it a little differently. One of the guys that comes to mind is, is a guy named St. Basil. He's the patron saint of marinara sauce. It's, I'm <laughs> Someone for a second was like, oh, no, wait, that's not true. <clears throat> Basil. Basil. And, uh, and he would have, um, Patrick was also this way. We'll talk about Patrick a little more later, you know, Patrick, fantastic guy, right? He was, he was um, captured uh, as a young man um, by these crazy people called the Irish. And, and he, was, he lived as a slave among them. And then he escaped slavery and went back home and met Jesus in a profound way and felt called to be a missionary and said, what people group do I know that need Jesus? And what language do I already know? And he spent the rest of his life as a missionary to the people that had enslaved him. And within a short time, over 90% of Ireland had given their lives to Jesus. How? How did that, how, a missionary movement like, like we've never seen, how did that happen? And I totally got ahead of myself in my outline. I just got excited about Patrick. 
One of the things that he would do is they would build their monasteries on the edge of the city. The edge of the city. And they'd send their people in regularly to care for the poor and the sick. And, and they would pray for healing and they would serve the people in need. Basil, he would, he would train his people, um, not, not something much a part of our tradition, but something I keep in my left pocket for years is a little prayer rope. And he would train his monks to pray and um, these little knots just as a way of um, reminding uh, people to kind of move forward in prayer, usually with what's, what's called the, the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. And interestingly, he would ask them to keep their prayer ropes in their left hand so that they could pray while they were working with their right hand. This wasn't about leaving society. This was about how do we bring our spiritual disciplines of things like prayer and scripture and communion and contemplation and not have it be something that you have to climb a mountain over there to do. How can it be something that we equip our people to do right here in the middle of this world? Because Jesus, yes, he would go away for a while to be with the Father. And then when morning came, he would go back to the people that needed him. Over and over and over again. Maybe, maybe there's, there's something there for us. You know, I cracked um, this series last week talking about that God announces over creation, it's good, it's good, it's good six times. And then on the seventh time, he like, he, he's just pulsing with energy. He's so over the top excited about his creation. And he says, it is very good. And, and maybe we've forgotten to name the good things that are in creation and remember that they are gifts from God. This is God loving you. This is God loving you. Whether that's, that's how you love hitting a golf ball at the driving range or how you love making that chocolate meringue pie for your family or, or, or sitting on a porch and watching the sun come up or if you're more like me, a sunset. I'm not so much into the sun up thing. I just, later, sunset's great. That all of those things we are free to name as ways that God wants to love us. And that, that maybe Christians have forgotten to enjoy their lives with God as a gift from God. But, but maybe it's not just about this receiving. Maybe there's, maybe there's also a way that we can, we can give, that we can give in it. Um, Paul, when he's wrapping up his letter to the Philippians, which is like just such an awesome book. If, if you are new uh, to scripture, you're new to the Bible, you're new to trying to figure out, um, you know, like where do you start when, you know, the, the Bible's hard. It is, it is hard. It can be hard. Um, I would, just, I would just say the book of Philippians is such a blast, such a good place to start. And there's so many things in here um, that I think are ripe for memorization. And, uh, and I would just like to say, by the way, you guys who have been walking with Jesus for a while, um, maybe, maybe it's time to get some scripture like in you, you know, so that it can come out of you. And Philippians 4 is a great place to start. Um, we, 
walked, uh, my, my wife especially walked um, my, my 10-year-old daughter through, through memorizing a fair chunk of Philippians 4 um, because it is just, it gives life. And so I would say this week, come back next week. I'll, I'll tell you what, I did not plan on saying this. Let me think through this a second before I commit to something. Okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a bunch of Snickers bars over here. If you can come up and, and share a fair bit of Philippians 4 with me, Bitten, I'm going to send some with Brock. You can find him. And you, if you can share a fair bit of Philippians 4 with me from memory, you get a Snickers bar in the name of Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Philippians 4. <laughs> that was quite the dog leg. I just got to get back on the track here. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Philippians 4. Starting in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Who doesn't need this like in them, you know? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Did you, did you catch all those whatevers? There's, all, like, there's, there's a couple of sections of, of the, I call them the great whatevers in the New Testament. You know, whatever is often used as a way um, to get out of a situation. You know, if you, if you tell someone, um, hey, can you please uh, pick up your room? And they say, whatever. That's bad news, right? That's bad news. You know, and, you know, if someone says, I got the email from HR, and everybody goes, ugh, whatever, right? Bad news. But here he says, whatever is good or noble or praiseworthy, think about such things. Is, the, is there a way there that it's calling us to worship? It's calling us and inviting us into worship. You know, again, not our tradition, but let me tell you, people have been following Jesus throughout the whole world for a long time. So there's people that do things not like us that are still following Jesus. You're with me on that, right? Like we don't need projectors and, and guitars and um, people that ramble like me like the, to follow Jesus. There's lots of ways that people do that. Well, in history, they have used something sometimes called icons, which is not something that I've connected a lot with, just to be honest. And, um, and these are often pictures, paintings, um, that look like this, usually recounting something that happened in Scripture. Um, here's one of what's called the Annunciation. This is Gabriel coming to Mary to tell her about Jesus, that she's going to carry the Messiah. Um, or here, my, my favorite, um, maybe the most famous, is this is Rublov's uh, icon of the Trinity um, as, as God comes to visit Moses, I mean Abraham in three people. And he sits and eats with them, and there's a place at the table for you. And there's rich imagery here that we won't dive into right now. Or the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus. Um, Jesus saying, I'm out of here. And, and how they would take these icons, which again, is not something that I have connected with much in my life, is they would contemplate them. And they do today. Millions of people have these paintings. And just a way, can, can God speak to me through this thing, 
through, the, through remembering this moment in Scripture, through this, this painting, through how the artist interpreted things? Is there something of God that I can see there? Now, someone could say, can't those easily turn into idols? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the, throughout history, there's been what's been called iconoclastic movements where there has been concern that these icons became too important to the people. And so they said, we're going to tear those suckers down. Um, and so they, they would get rid of them. Icons can grow into idols. But I, I don't know if they, if they have to. You know, it, it, maybe we could say that an icon is a little bit like a, like a stained glass window. Um, and, and the idea is that there's a way to see God through something and to see God moving through something else. And there's a way that we can like see God in a way that we, we didn't other times. It like, it like breaks the light in a way where we catch an image or we catch some color or, or we can understand something or see something when, when God comes to us through something else in a way that we might miss otherwise. Now, I, just, I want you to think about, about this. What could be icons in your daily life? Things that you just, that you just love. Like when, when in Philippians, he has this list. He says, whatever is, let, let some things come to mind. Whatever is true. What in your life is true? If there's something maybe that that's, has a lot of falsehood in it, maybe it's time to get off that group text but is there something true that you can fill that space with that can be like a, like a place that God comes to you through that thing? Something you just enjoy because it's, because it's true. Whatever's noble, whatever's noble, we, we are so inundated with things that are shameful because they, they get ratings, but what about things that are noble? And can, is there something in your life that is noble? Being around that person, doing that activity, volunteering there, Whatever it is, something that's noble and you can, you can be there and see if that's a place that you can like see God in it. You could maybe worship through it. Whatever is right. What are the things in your life that are, that are just right? I mean, do you know those moments in the morning? Not, not a lot of mornings maybe, but maybe every now and then there is that morning when you think this was just Right? Was God coming to you through that thing? Next, whatever is pure. You know, there's, there's something pure about um, getting out and going for a run, isn't there? There's something pure about sitting by your bed with a good book. There, there's something pure about, about sharing something that you made with your neighbor or throwing a football with your grandson. I don't, there's something pure there. Next, whatever is lovely. Oh my gosh. Whatever is admirable. Yeah, excellent, praiseworthy. Are there things in your life that you already love that could become icons for you? A place where you're going to say, I'm gonna meet the Lord there. And it's not just, it's not just, yes it is, it is a way for God to love you, but that's not it alone. Because there's a couple of dangers, like we said with icons. One is that we stop seeing God through them. 
And it just becomes about the thing itself and what that thing does for me. Because this, this whole idea that I'm on for this series is in danger of just being like a self-help thing. Just you do the things that you love because you're worth it and you're awesome and, and, and all of that and that's great. And look, you doing things that you love is great. It's great, it's great. But here's the thing. When we don't see God through something, it either just becomes about the thing itself or it becomes all about us. And that isn't right, true, good, lovely, noble, pure, praiseworthy. But so how can we find a space to worship through it, you know, so that we see God inside the thing that we can get like Basil when he would have his people pray in the middle of their work? One of the other great um, maybe concerns of icons, especially in religious contexts, is that we can start to assume that because God met us somewhere, that this thing is where God meets people, period. And we can start to assume that this is the way that God does it, and that's it. it I know, have you guys ever met church people? <laughs> Just a question. Look, I love church people. I love church people. They're great. Um, one of the historic challenges of church people is that they meet Jesus somewhere, and it matters to them, and that's really good. But then they assume that that place is where Jesus lives, and that's it. And so you can't ever change the way you sing something. You can't ever change a building. You can't ever change the way that you talk about something or preach. You can't ever move. You can't ever go on mission. No one can leave. Everyone has to stay. We always will sing that song. Why? It's not because they're trying to be grumpy. It's because they met God in something, which is good. But they started to assume that that thing was God. Right? And listen, you change. And it's okay. If you come back to something that used to give you life, and you're like trying to find God in it again, and it's just not sparking you like it used to, that's okay. You change. It's all right to move on. Other people change. Context change. It's all right. It's okay to move on. We can celebrate. We can even grieve. We can say goodbye. We can let go of that good thing that God met us in. And we can keep moving. Does that make sense? Although that's hard. That, that is quite hard. Um, so those are probably the, the two uh, first dangers of icons that I think about. One is that we could just make it all about ourselves. It's just about, it's just about me getting, and I stop seeing God through it. The other is I can start thinking that this thing is God itself, God himself. There's another danger that I love about this kind of living that I think is the right kind of danger. Because here's the thing, we can talk about God in ideas, not just all day long, all lifetime long. We, we have filled how many millions of books with beautiful ideas about God, and that's great, that's great. But that leaves God in a book, right? That leaves God in an idea, which is quite safe which is quite safe. There are people that can study the Bible their entire lives, attend church their entire lives, and do all of that. And God remains for them a beautiful idea out there. The danger of meeting God in something is that he becomes real to you here and now. And that kind of encounter with God can change your life. So if you're really into keeping your life together and in control, I would highly suggest skipping joy. 
But if you are up for God coming into your life and him not being just an idea out there, but someone that we meet. And here's the thing. We only know God inside of events. Here's the thing. Have you ever like been around someone and maybe they, they were sick and they were prayed for and they got healed and they say that was God. They say that was God. It's not. That was healing. But what they mean is I met God in it. I met God in it. We only meet God inside of an event, inside of a moment in history when we feel his love and his joy in a profound way. And so whatever is noble, true, praiseworthy, I don't know if that's sports or if that's beekeeping or if that's going on walks or whatever it is, but can that be a place that you can say, I want to capture that. And I want that to be a place that I can worship that I can praise the Lord God Almighty, not to make it about myself, but to turn it back to him and say, thank you, Jesus. The the other great whatevers in scripture are are found in in Colossians, um, which, I mean, these are so great. This is Colossians 3, 17. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. This giving thanks to God, the Father, through him, this is an act of worship. This is an act of worship. Some people, I know some of you are really strange. You are most yourself when you're cleaning your house. I love you, I don't get you. But when you're surrounded with pine saw and Windex, you are like, oh, heaven on earth. I don't get that. Some of you are most yourself when you are on the couch and you haven't gotten up in an hour and a half and you are just enjoying the rest of the day, like the still of that moment. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Or or Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. You got a hobby? You got something you're doing? How can you do it in the name of the Lord where it is an act of worship? Maybe we can bring some of those classical spiritual disciplines into that space. Maybe we can pray while we're doing anything that we're doing. Maybe the the monastics, the monks, um, in contemplative prayer, they would have something they called breath prayers. Anybody familiar with breath prayers? It's where you get a small phrase of a prayer and you run it over your lips as you breathe out. It can be silent. It can be a whisper. I remember for about a year, mine was, I need you again. I need you again. I need you again. Because every breath is a gift from God and I need him to give me my next breath. Then it was funny how driving down the street could become an act of worship. Is there a breath prayer that you can bring into what ever you love and have that be an offering. Scripture, scripture, classical spiritual discipline, right? Not just prayer, scripture. Can you memorize some scripture? Maybe it's Philippians 4. And while you are going about whatever it is you're doing, you're at the driving range and you're out there and Philippians 2 is going through your mind. Have in your relationships the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. Whack! Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Whack! 
and that can be a place where you're letting Jesus meet you. It can be an act of worship, an act of giving this thing to God. Um, Zechariah, uh, this prophet in the Old Testament, he has this amazing vision of what God wants to do with our lives. Check this out. Um, Zechariah 14, on that day, even the harness bells of the horses will be inscribed with these words, holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots and the temple of the Lord, stuff in the kitchen, will be as sacred as the basins used beside the altar. In fact, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judea, Judah will be holy to the Lord of heaven's army. What if when someone came in your kitchen because you love cooking for people? Maybe, maybe you've smoked some brisket and you're having them over and there was this sense that they were near holiness because of how you have carried yourself through that moment, that this was, this was a place where they could meet with God too because you have beating with God a long time there. I'm picking on the monks this week. Um, they invented a thing called the rule of life, which you may have heard about. Uh, it's just, just a structure for life. The, the word comes from a trellis that like a tomato plant grows on for support as it grows. It's structure so that it enables growth, not structure that stifles growth, structure that encourages growth. How could you maybe work a rule of life into your um, day or week or month where the things that you already love, the things where you can meet God, the things that are right, true, good, noble, praiseworthy, the stuff that's already in your life. How can you start to like name it and keep it? Because many of us have forgotten the things that we love. Or we let them go, we let them fade, we let them fall into the past, maybe because we're doing good things. We're busy at work, we're busy parenting, we're busy taking care of other people. Maybe we're just tired, I don't know, but it's worth it to say, how can I build these things into a rhythm of my life so not just God can love me, but I can love the Lord through these things also? A couple of questions. One, what in your life can become an icon? What are the things in your life that are good, noble, true, praiseworthy, what are the things that are already there or that, or that should be there that you just love and they're right and good? What in your life could become an icon for you? Next question, how, how can this be worship? How can worship come through you to God in this moment? You know, you might think that's weird. Well, let me tell you, normal stinks. I don't know a lot normal that's going on in the world that I want in on. I think different is better, right? How can that be an act of worship? Maybe it's through scripture. Maybe it's through prayer. Maybe it's through thinking about the Lord in these things. Um, this last week, I, I had my little adventure. I, um, I, there was a car that we've been saving up for a long time to buy a car, um, and we finally found the one that we wanted in Bible where my parents live, um, Clearwater, Tampa area. And so I packed up my backpack and I flew in the middle of the night because it was super cheap. It was great. I flew to Denver. That's the wrong direction. And, um, <laughs> and then, yeah, that was the connecting flight. And then to, and then to Tampa. Um, and it was like, that's why that was cheap. And, and me with my backpack sleeping in a corner of the Denver airport and getting a 1 a.m. flight to Tampa is my favorite thing in the world. I love that stuff. 
I love, I love, I love the sense of adventure and like, I don't know what's going to happen and who are we going to hang out with today? And I don't know. And, and that, that bit of like, I felt more like myself than I have in a long time driving um, back to Cape Girardeau, Missouri with a car that I picked up in Tampa, Florida. Um, because I need a little bit of adventure in my life. It's an icon for me. How can that be worship? Well, maybe I could ask God, God, what adventure do you want to take me on? Now, what, what adventure do you have for me? Maybe that's a way that that can become worship for me. What about for you? What's your thing? Then last question, what's the right rhythm? I should not do that every week. I just shouldn't. Cost too much money. I'd never see my family. Eventually, the sleep debt would catch up. But what's the right rhythm for you? If it's the driving range, is that weekly? Is that monthly? Is that daily? Probably not daily. Is that, is that working out, exercising? Is that baking? I don't know, whatever your thing is. What's the right rhythm for you? And here's what I would say. Write that down and share it with someone who cares about you. And say, okay, my pastor told me this week that I am supposed to spend more time playing chess. I don't, shooting range, what's your thing? I'm supposed to spend more time doing that. What's your rhythm? Share it with somebody you love. How can you make that worship? How can you invite the Lord into that space? I'm gonna go out into the woods more. I'm gonna fish more, I don't know. Not just so that we can receive from God, but so that we can say to him back, I love you, thank you, shape me in your image because every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights, right? And we get to say yes to him. So what's your icon? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you want to meet us in everything that is good. So help us to focus on those things to invite you into those spaces, to see you through them, and to love you back. In the name of the God who said, it is good. Amen. If you enjoyed today's message, make sure to subscribe to this channel. Feel free to share this with others that God has put on your heart. To learn more about LaCroix Church or to find your next steps, head to lacroixchurch.org. Thanks again for checking us out, and we hope to see you soon.